Father, we have but one request this evening, and that is that you would draw us ever nearer. There are many here, Lord, some that are close and some that are far. But, Lord, collectively we all desire to draw nearer to thee. And as you have inspired and blessed us in song this evening, we pray, Lord, that you would bless and inspire us through your word as well. As we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. For our evening meditation, I'd like to read the last three verses in the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Who is your hero? A hero, someone who is noble, courageous in the face of adversity, someone who can stand without being fearful, being a leader. If we look in the Old Testament, Many viewed Moses as a hero, and for good reason. Moses was noble, and he did a lot of marvelous and wonderful things as a man of God. Others saw Elijah as their hero, a man a bit on the wild side, the scripture tells us. He looked a little bit unconventional. But when he arrived on the scene, he had a mission one that where he could stand fearless in the face of adversity in a godless time of the nation of Israel. And his mission was to turn the hearts of the Israelites back, back to the Father. And he demonstrated that with some pretty powerful miracles that took place on Mount Carmel. There are lots of heroes that we could look to, and Hebrews 11 is filled with the examples of the heroes in Scripture. But the heroes don't just stop from here in the Scripture. We have modern-day heroes as well. And sadly, in many ways, the heroes of our day and age today, of the average person in our culture, is not as noble, is not as courageous as we would like them to be. Many of the heroes of the day are those that are popular in the media, through the movies, sports figures, and not all of them are poor heroes. Some of them do stand fast, and some of them are men and women of God. But sadly, many are not, and leave an example and a legacy that is shameful. But I think one of the common heroes that most of us could identify with is the hero in our father. 
Not everyone may be able to identify with that because even though in God's design through procreation, through the unit of the family, the mother and the father were to be the heroes of the children as they start growing up because as studies show that values are caught more than they're taught. And so if our parents are heroes those that are noble and stand firm, and we can see through their examples, much of that will be, will rub off on us. But sadly, there are many times where there's a breakdown, a breakdown of the family. And some of you may be able to identify that maybe your parents were not your heroes, And maybe, especially in your teen years, even though they probably should be your heroes, you may not feel that way today. But often, as you grow older, you will realize that they are worthy of being your hero. The scripture tells us that he, God, through Elijah, through the spirit of Elijah, will turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And we know how important a father figure is in the family, someone to stand in the gap. And this is not just talking about that a father being there to be a provider, while that is very important, but it's talking about the heart, the heart of the father, the passion, the energy, turning to his children, instilling into them. Values and passing on these important values and morals and the faith to the next generation. And as we look at the theme, turn to the Lord, the reason why the prophet Joel had to say this is because the fathers of that time, the mothers of that time, had failed to pass on the legacy to their children. In fact, we can read in Judges that after Joshua passed away, That, it says, a new generation rose up that didn't know the God of Joshua, the God of their fathers, didn't know the mighty miracles that happened in Egypt, and as a result, they began to stray. And so the role of a father, and in particular, I think the reason the father is perhaps called out here in this scripture is because we're not as naturally relational as the mothers are. And there's a special message to us that we need to be more relational to our children. And we can understand that if we think of some of the important milestones that would come in the lives of our children. Things like a graduation or a marriage. Can you imagine what it would be like if the father would decide he's too busy to show up to the wedding of his daughter? Send somebody else instead. Pay them good money that can stand in his place. Would not fit. We understand that. And in some ways, God not only understood it, but designed it that way. And tonight, this is not really a message to parents and fathers because I am but a young father and have much to learn but really to look at the heart of God because he is the perfect father. And those of you that may not have a father figure to look at, 
can, may struggle a little bit with understanding how God is your father because you may have had a poor example. But if you look through the scriptures and through the example, you can see the heart of a father, the father God, reaching out and desiring to have a relationship with us. And what did he do? He didn't just send anybody to come and to share and desire to have that relationship with us. He didn't send Gabriel or some other powerful archangel to come down in his place. No, he came personally. Even though it cost him a lot, it was too important for him to let somebody else do it. And so he came himself in the flesh and showed us what it means for a father to turn his heart towards his children. And we see that through the example of Jesus Christ, how he came and demonstrated that love. And in no uncertain terms, let us know that his heart was turned towards us. But that's only half the verse. Turn the heart of the fathers to the children. Now the heart of the children to their fathers. There's the other half of this. And there are some parents that have made the sad experience, even as they've poured out their hearts and the lives of their children and have turned their hearts toward them, that some of them have still turned away and rejected their love and how hard and difficult that must be. But many times, the children will turn and return that love, will return that. And that is what God's desire is for us as he has turned his heart towards us, that we would reciprocate and turn our hearts toward him. But how do we respond? I was reminded of a man that lives not too far from here. Just last month, in the state south, in North Carolina, a man who, for the bulk of his life, worked a regular job, supplied his needs. But then came the downturn, and he lost his job. And, being an older man, found it difficult to find another job that he could work at and tried several jobs, temporary here, temporary there, and eventually just could not find another job. And he was not really an irresponsible man. He did have savings, and he was able to draw on those savings to take him through the lean times. But eventually, his health began to fail. And so it's a downward spiral. If you don't have health, how can you work? And as he sought medical attention... He didn't have any benefits. And so he couldn't be admitted to the hospital. He was rejected and turned away. And he went and applied for disability. And he looked for charitable ways that he could have himself examined because he was beginning to have more and more pain. And he knew something was wrong. And finally, when he realized, when he was at the end of his rope, he made a decision. He set his house in order, sold what little furniture he had left, paid the last month of rent. And then, on June 9th, got caught a taxi 
and picked a bank at random, walked in with a note and said, I am robbing the bank. Please give me one dollar and I need some health care. And he sat down in the, in the waiting room of the bank, waiting for the police to show up. You see, he was not a criminal at heart. He was a desperate man taking desperate measures because he knew that when he would be arrested and go into jail, he would get the benefit of being a prisoner. Now, it sounds like an oxymoron. What kind of benefit? He'd get the benefit of free health care. And sure enough, as he was arrested and taken off to prison, he was able to see a doctor and nurses within a few days, was assessed, and was already scheduled for surgeries to take care of his health needs. And as I thought about that story and as I read it, I thought, you know what? Sometimes I am like that man. You know, the the Apostle Paul says numerous times through the New Testament that he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. And sometimes, I mean, in fact, all of us as Christians should be able to identify that as a prisoner of the Lord. We're not just free to do whatever we want. No, we are, have a responsibility as a Christian. And sometimes... I turn to the Lord as a prisoner of the Lord because of the fringe benefits I get from that. Not because maybe I'm as noble or as I I desire a relationship with the Creator. No, I think of some of the fringe benefits, and many of them are pretty good. It's a pretty good benefits package when you become a Christian for many of us. Sometimes people turn to the Lord Because they're looking for a spouse. They're looking to marry a godly person. That's a pretty good benefit, I have to tell you. Others are looking just for peace in their life. Some are looking for eternal life, for heaven. Some are looking to escape the damnation and the guilt that they feel. And many of these things are not wrong, but they become wrong if that's the motivating factor for us to turn to the Lord. And it's easy for us to understand that in relational terms. If I'm looking for a spouse and I'm just looking for the physical intimacy, or I'm looking to get rich, or I'm just looking for companionship, somebody to share my life with, or I'm lonely, I desire that. And that's not necessarily wrong. But if it's not in the context of a relationship, we call that lust. Because it's motivated by selfish desires. We want to consume it upon ourselves. Not really thinking about the welfare of the other person. No, but in the context of a relationship. God does provide many of these blessings, but the relationship needs to come first. And that's what he desires, that as we turn to the Lord, that our motivating factor is that we desire to have a close relationship with our Father.
on the way up here to camp. It's a long drive. And I saw a bumper sticker that the Lord spoke to me through that bumper sticker. Normally, we sometimes hear broadcasts. Of course, I'm from Canada. We hear broadcasts from the U.S. And often we would hear, God bless America. And that's wonderful. But this bumper sticker said, America bless God. And I had to think, that really speaks to my heart. How many times have I, as one of these fringe benefits, looked into how I'm praying? And I would say, Lord, please bless this and bless me in this way. Bless my children. Bless my wife. Bless... And the list can go on and on. And that's not wrong. God desires to bless, bless us as his children and as his creation. But am I willing to bless God? You know, the psalmist writes... Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Or we can read, and the Psalms are full of these, and these are just a few examples. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. I have set the Lord always before me. And so are we willing, as willing, to bless the Lord with our lives? Are we willing to sacrifice for his purpose as much as we are asking him to bless us? Many of you are probably familiar with the author Elizabeth Elliot. A very godly woman. One that was called to the mission field with her husband back in the 1950s to Ecuador. And many of you probably know of her experience. I'll just share in very short for those that don't know. She was called to this mission field to minister to a tribe of Indians in Ecuador that had no contact with the outside world and, in fact, were very violent. And there was great risk and great cost for her and her husband and several others that were with them to go minister to this tribe. And so as they tried to make first contact... It ended in disaster because the husbands, several of them, went to this tribe to make first contact. And as they had some interaction with them, because this tribe was so violent, they ended up being speared to death. Terrible way to die. And you can imagine the emotion of a wife with a small child who had dedicated their lives to the Lord, having to go through an experience like that. And as she went back to the U.S. to recover and to mourn, she felt God calling her to go back to minister to those very Indians that had killed her husband. And she obeyed that call. She went back and served there for two years. And while she was there ministering to them, there were two hikers that came. Now, this is a very remote part of the rainforest. Unusual to have visitors. And these two hikers came along and came to converse a little bit with the Indians and with her. But their destination was to travel through the rainforest. Those of you that have ever been to a rainforest or seen it on television, it's not a pleasant place to go hiking through. A lot of dangers there. Poisonous plants, poisonous animals, easy ways to get hurt. And it's a remote area where you can't ease, if you do get hurt, you'll be in a lot of trouble because you can't easily get out. And she marveled that as these two hikers came, that 
they didn't ask for any direction. They didn't ask these Indians who have lived here for generations about what's coming up ahead. Instead, they were just interested in conversing with a few words here and there, and then they went on their way. And in some ways, sometimes we are like that as well, where as we go through our journey in life, we don't necessarily know what's up ahead. We have seen others as they've traveled and gone through perilous journey, uh, gone through a perilous journey. Because sometimes life is tough, life is dangerous. And rather than asking for advice, we try to do it on our own. But maybe we're a little bit better than that. Maybe we do come prepared. And just recently, I, some of the park rangers here in North America have raised the alarm Raise the alarm because there's a trend that's happening among people here in North America as they go travel these remote areas. They think they come prepared. And how so? As they bring one of these along, a smartphone. And you know what? These are pretty smartphones. A lot of things that are built into them. They got GPS. You could press a little button and it'll show you where you're at. And you can carry, of course, besides being a cell phone to call if you're in trouble, you can get applications that will give you first aid information, will tell you what plants are edible and which ones are poisonous. It'll tell you how to survive out in the wilderness. And people think that's what they need for their preparation. And they go, and suddenly they realize in the middle of nowhere, there's no cell phone reception. In the middle of a valley, there's no GPS reception either. They're hidden from the satellites. And what happens when their battery runs out? They're helpless. And many times they've had to launch a rescue because people had been ill-prepared for the journey that was ahead. And I've had to wonder sometimes if I don't do that myself. If, as I'm going through the journey of life, I do turn to the Lord, but just once in a while, when I come to a crossroads where I will be sincere and pray, Lord, I desire to become married. Will you show me who my spouse will be? Or, Lord, what career would you have me to choose? Or with some of the other crossroads that we will come across in life. And those are wonderful things. But we really sell God short if that's all we do when we turn to the Lord. Because he's given us Something better. Now, this phenomena of turning to the Lord because on occasion or because of the fringe benefits is not something new. This is not something that's just part of our generation today. No, that was back in Jesus' time. And we can read about that in Matthew chapter 6, just after Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. They had filled their stomachs with physical food. And that's why they were running after him, because they wanted more. It was pretty neat to see how he fed the 5,000 with so little. But Jesus called them to a higher standard, 
higher expectation, not just to eat meat or bread that will, you'll be hungry again the next day. No, he said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. We sell God short if that's the only reason or the only times that we turn to the Lord as we go through our journey of life. No, he has more for us than that. We can read that in Romans where it talks, where the scripture says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. No, God doesn't just want to be that proverb, proverbial wise man on the mountain that we go to once in a while for advice. No, he has given us his spirit to be our guide through the journey of life. What better gift could he have imparted unto us? Someone who can be by our side as we travel through, as we come upon difficulties, to help us through, to give us advice, and to have a relationship with is far more valuable than just the fringe benefits of some of the things that we have talked about here. The songwriters wrote, When other helpers fail and comforts flee, what do we do when that happens? You see, if we turn to the Lord because of those fringe benefits, we are apt to turn away from him. Because once those benefits are gone, what's the point? And we had some great examples here today of the missionaries, some who have dedicated their lives, not because it was something that they benefited from. No, because they saw a bigger picture. They saw it wasn't all about themselves. They're willing to give up a career, to give up living here in North America or wherever their home was, sometimes giving up their family and going and serving God because they caught a vision that was bigger than themselves. And as the Holy Spirit guided them into this, and as they can share the fulfillment, as not only they have turned to the Lord, but have also led others to the Lord, are we willing to see the bigger picture? Are we willing to take God to the task that he will be our guide, that he will show us day after day, moment by moment, what we should be doing, how we should be responding to the various circumstances that we find ourselves in. The songwriter will cont- continues and says, Who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine? Oh, abide with me. And how blessed we are as if we are going through the time of the cloud, through the time of the valley, when we are not really seeing those fringe benefits, if we can hang on, hang on because we love the Lord, because we have turned our heart towards him. 
And that we would sing, be able to sing, nearer, my God, to thee. Despite those difficulties. When we turn to God, our Father, because we desire to have a relationship with him, and he begins to guide us, only then will we be able to experience what the early church experienced and how they were able to turn their world upside down. Amen.